Hey, welcome back. This is Dear Baseball Gods, episode forty-seven, I believe. So it's been a couple. Uh, it's been a couple of tough weeks because here at uh, Warbird Academy, Lucas and I, we switched to summer hours, which throws our routine into chaos. So instead of having the whole first half of the day to ourselves, where we do business things, we check emails, write emails, uh, work on our websites, uh, our personal endeavors, work out all these things that keep our business running. Uh, it got thrown for a loop because now we're in the gym at 9.30 a.m. with uh, hitting and pitching groups for our Senators teams and then strength training thereafter. So we have a three-hour break in the middle of the day, but we also then come back for an afternoon session or sorry, early evening session. And uh, it's just been tough to sort of hammer out some of the stuff. So we've been both struggling to get some of the things digitally done that we uh, typically have not enough time, but somewhat kind of enough time to do. So some of our endeavors, including our podcasts and videos that we've been planning to actually revamp and really improve and put out more content, we've actually been putting out less. So it's uh, it's just been tough, but we're starting to get our feet, our, our footing beneath us again and hopefully uh, be a little more uh, consistent as we go. Because we don't like missing weeks. I don't like missing weeks, but sometimes it just happens. So this uh, on this episode, I'm going to cover a bunch of different topics just like before, but prevalent themes in uh, my current situation coaching, there have been pitch counts, there's been uh, strike throwing, and there's also been uh, hitting technique stuff that we've been really focusing on recently. So I want to cover a couple of those today. And uh, we'll tackle some of these uh, these common questions that I've gotten from parents via email and YouTube channel and some other other avenues. Okay, so let's cover strike throwing. And I've been asked this a bunch of different times this year. Why do some pitchers have better command than others? And I feel like I've addressed in a bunch of different podcasts, but it's just still there's just still like more because I've been struggling with this recently with my team because. As a pitching guy who's a head coach, my team walks like a million like a million hitters. Uh, we actually walk, I think it's like eight or nine batters per seven innings, which is the typical game. And that's just like awful. Like I told our guys in like the scale of what's good, below average, you know, what's acceptable, like that many walks isn't even like it's not even on the scale. Like it's just like way out of the realm of, of normal and good and like being capable of playing baseball. So the question that I've been facing is like, what more can we do? What, uh, what's the variable that's missing? And so I've been thinking a lot about it and I've been thinking, how do I throw strikes and how did I throw strikes in my career? How did I get better at throwing strikes? As I got older. Cause I got better at, it as I got older. And then it kind of like dawned on me in practice the other day. Cause I was throwing, we we're doing like a simulated game with situational stuff. Cause we need to work on that as well. And what I did is, you know, all our fielders went out into the field and then a couple hitters hit because we only had 12, 13 guys at practice. So we had a couple guys hit, and I was just laying them in there so guys could just take their hacks, hit the balls into the gaps. We had runners on base, so we'd be able to run, go through cutoffs. Got hitters could, re- you know, we could read balls because we haven't done a great job going first to third, reading balls, you know, like knowing off the bat if it's a hit or it's not, all that sort of stuff. So it gave us ample reps to go through all that live game kind of stuff while I could still be brief and just, you know, they weren't going through full of bats. I just land them in there, boom, hit it. Let's judge it and go through it. So as I did this, I got uh, like bored and I decided to throw a couple submarine here and there. And there's a couple things I think people forget. So number one, when you're a college pitcher, 
and sometimes a varsity pitcher, but more so in college, they'll convert guys to submarine, right? So guys that threw standard conventional their whole life, suddenly they're not good enough to pitch. You know, I had a teammate like this in pro ball. He went to Virginia, and he was an 87, 89 uh, right-hander, I think, maybe left-hander, I don't know. But he went there, and like they're like, hey, we've got like 12 of you. Like, you can either transfer or not play, or we could use a submarine guy in the pen. So he became a submarine guy, and he was very successful, got drafted as a submarine pitcher, and then ended up in independent ball with me. But the, the question is like, okay, he how did he do that? How did he become a successful strike-throwing pitcher, learn a couple new pitches, because it's not the same when you're suddenly thrown down there? How do people do that? And then they throw strikes. Like when we have kids that have been pitching the same motion their whole career for four, five, six years of playing baseball, uh, and they can't even throw strikes with the one motion they've done their whole life. How does a kid take up a whole new motion, a whole new arm slot, a whole new repertoire, and then just like be okay and just be a submariner now? And so as I was chucking balls in there, you know, I throw my first one and I got as low as I could possibly go. And obviously it's like come behind a right-handed hitter and I throw it low. And then I'm like, okay, I'm going to throw this next one in the strike zone. And so I like, I do, like I did. And so I started thinking, and obviously I know how to make adjustments, and it's actually been fun throwing BP to my team because I get it back out there and I throw balls and then I throw strikes. And I don't like throwing balls, so I throw it where I want it. And I make these little adjustments. And I've been thinking about how it is that I do that when I do that stuff. Because as I got older, I got very in tune with my body and teammates kind of helped me along in pregame and said, like, this is what you're looking for when you're throwing your curveball in pregame at 60 miles per hour. Like, you're trying to feel this, or this is what I'm trying to feel. And I learned a lot from a lot of guys who played at higher levels than I did. And you learn that basically whenever a pitch leaves your fingertips, whether it's a pitch or a throw, whether it's 45 miles per hour or 80, 84 miles an hour or 96 miles per hour, when it leaves your hand, if it's a fastball, you just have like this feeling where you like catch it right, where mechanically everything's in tune, and it's almost like this snapshot kind of moment. So it releases and it's like click, and you then sort of assess like was that right? Was that like the way I wanted to release it? Was it perfect or was it not perfect? And any subtle difference where it's like no, that wasn't my the way I wanted it to go. It wasn't that like snapshot, that archetype, that perfect whatever. You like go okay, well where was it off? And then you adjust it. So imagine, like, I can't remember where you would do this, but it's kind of like a video game thing or something. But, you know, like you have like two photos or maybe it's like, uh, you know, you could play like a, a game where you're like in a plane and you're like shooting people down and there's like a crosshair. So if you like lock on the other guy, so your crosshair is moving, you try to like get it so they match up and then they lock and then boom, and then he's done, whatever. And so that's kind of how it is. Like your perfect snapshot is like the crosshair and then, you make one that's off a little bit. So then you adjust it and you move it and you try to like get it. So it's like, they like match up again. That analogy probably wasn't great. And if you're listening to this on audio, none of that made sense. Uh, Cause I kind of acted it out on video poorly, mind me, mind you. But basically every time it's off, you then figure out how much it's off and then where it's off and then how you make it not off in the way that it was off. And so as I was throwing submarine, I never pitched submarine. Like, I don't know. I don't know how to do it. But I still knew, even before that first one, like, I knew my arm was going to be low. I knew my arm was going to be way off to the side. So I knew I had to throw it a certain amount behind my body. And so I just guessed, right? Like, you watch major league infielders or just any good infielders in general. Like, they're constantly on the run. They're constantly throwing the ball behind the direction they're running. 
Like, it's crazy how they do this. And major leaguers hit their target at first base, like, 99% of the time. Like, they're on the run. They throw behind their body. They just, like, choose a certain amount to throw behind them, and it makes it there. It's crazy. Like, think about how they do that. And obviously, it's repetition, but it's not just repetition. It's, like, them doing this really quick physics. And so, as I was throwing submarine, the first one was down. Like, it, I, like it went up, and it, like, has that top spin sort of, and it, like, tumbled down to the zone. And I'm like, okay, I need to like hold on to it a little bit longer and I need to throw it like a hair farther behind my body, like farther toward the left-hander's batter's box. And so I did and I hit my, and I like threw it down the middle. I'm like, cool. And I'm like, how did I do that? I'm like, and when do you learn to start doing that? And then I realized like that really is what's missing. So when you see kids go out there and they pitch, and I say kids as like a blanket statement for anyone who plays baseball, who's like an amateur pretty much. When you go out there and you, and you walk and walk and walk a bunch of guys, or you just like don't consistently hit spots. I think what's happening is you go out there and you throw a pitch and then you get the ball back and then you throw the next pitch and then you get the ball back and then you throw the next pitch. And that sort of like honing where you're like, I have that snapshot goes off and then this was off. So I was up and my arm was here and I like have this sense, this like visual, but also kinesthetic sense of where my body went wrong and then on the next pitch, I have this sense of how I would fix it and this sort of like subtle feeling that sort of flows through you that that's how I'm going to fix it. And it's really hard to internalize and it's really hard to explain. Uh, but every time I throw a pitch, whether it's BP to my team or live BP to my team or submarine to my team, and even now that I'm retired, I'm still playing this game where every pitch when it doesn't go where I want it to go, that snapshot of that bad pitch gets then, okay, I have to like get my front shoulder up a little more. I have to hold on to the ball a little more. I have to like release it a little bit higher. And as you get tired, that game gets even harder to play because it's your body doesn't want to do what you then ask it to do. So it's not like it's just like, okay, I missed down. I got to like keep my chest up. I got to like get it up a little more. It, your body doesn't cooperate as much. So then you're trying to figure out how much you have to then be off. Like you have to overcome or how much you have to overcompensate to, to deal with the fatigue because you know that, okay, the ball's going up, up, up. I'm going to try to get it down by doing this feeling that, and like, that it goes through my body, my head. But I know that since I'm tired, it's not going to be as much. So I have to compensate a little bit more than I normally would to try to get it down the zone. And it's this constant battle with, and this constant state of feedback and this constant like snapshot and then comparing the good snapshot with the bad snapshot. And then this like, this feeling that like washes over you of like how I then do that next that's like what pitching is. That's like what throwing strikes is. And it can't really be taught. It comes from like a really deep focus and this like kinesthetic understanding. And the word kinesthetic is stupid, but it's just meaning like having control of your body. I hate using big words like that because they're just, they're just annoying. But um, good athletes have this they have this internalization. They, they are good kinesthetic learners. They learn by using their body. And one of the signs when I'm working with a, with a young pitcher, a young softball player, whoever, when I give, when I say, Hey, your arm is here, or that one came out like this, or you need to do a little more of this, a common, a common thing that I see with the really good ones, the kids who are really good at making adjustments, who are good athletes. When I tell them to do something before they make their next throw, I see them, I see them like go through it. Before they, they don't just get the ball back. They don't just go walk back and put their hands together and make ready to make the next throw as they're walking back. And before they let come set, they're thinking 
And then I see them, they act out a little bit. They go, you know, if they're a hitter, they like go, okay, it was this, this, this. If, you, if you're a parent, if you're a coach, watch closely for this. When they take a bad swing, when they, then they, they start to make these little adjustments. That's them doing what I'm trying to describe and maybe doing a poor job of it. Um, that's them doing. They're like, okay, my brain says this happened. I know it needs to be this. Let's see if I can like feel what that was. Oh, my front shoulder staying in or like me not letting my arm fly out, whatever it is. It's this really subtle thing. And it's, I, I know a lot of kids do this in their head maybe, but I always, but almost it's, it's like, it's extremely consistent that the kids who make the adjustments the best, who are extremely quick learners, who are extremely focused they all do this. They all, when I give them a cue, it's not every single one, but I consistently, because I've come to notice it, they'll like, they'll act it before their next pitch. And it's just, uh, it's like this big thing of like throwing strikes and, and improving your command. It's really enigmatic. It's really difficult to figure out. It's not just throwing more bullpens. It's not just getting more innings on the mound. Those both help, but they're putting you in a position where you can then go through that mental and physical process of, understanding this is what I want to feel. This is what I just felt and where the ball went. Here's what I need to, I think I need to do to do it. And then my body does it or it doesn't. And then I go through the process again. And it's just like this, you could kind of boil it down and say that it's focused, but it's not just focus. It's just this really complex feedback system between your body, what you've done before and how aware you are of your body and the way it interacts with your own mechanics and your level of fatigue and what you're trying to accomplish. And it's just really bizarre. But, you know, you look at golfers. Golfing is crazy. How can they hit the ball that straight? And when they don't make adjustments, like how do we throw a ball? Like when, when you play long toss or you see your partner in the outfield and you just chuck it 190 feet and you hit him in the chest, how do you possibly do that? How do you then come in and you chuck it 90 feet and hit him in the chest? Then they go out in 240 feet and you hit him in the chest still. We have this crazy like awareness of like how much juice to put on something to get it to you know go where it needs to go, and uh, so as I finish my rant, this is probably the last thing I'll like I'll say in in recent days. I mean it's June 2018, but um, just on pitching command because it's so difficult to figure out why one kid throws strikes and why one doesn't. I told this to my team after we had another horrendous outing, and we and we did much better after our talk. I'm like, look you're, we're more athletic. You guys are better trained. You guys have better mechanics. You guys look like high level pitchers on the mound, but we're playing a lot of teams who don't have that same training, who don't look like pitchers. They look like they're just not as athletic as you guys. And they're out there with sloppy pitching mechanics, right? And you can see it. You can see kids who are very well-trained, who are not as well-trained. And you can see kids who are very athletic and who are not athletic, but there isn't a correlation between strike throwing and athleticism or mechanics or it just isn't. We've faced tons and tons of pitchers this year who are not very athletic, who do not have good pitching mechanics, and they throw more strikes than our kids who are more, both more athletic and have better pitching mechanics. And you say, how is that possible? Well, A, it's because we're not robots, and the feedback system that we use, the one I've just tried to poorly describe, of like I threw a pitch and now it wasn't where I wanted, so now I'm going to get it in that zone – that is the that is the key. Whether you have horrible mechanics, whether you throw a submarine or right over the top or whatever, 50 miles per hour or 95 miles per hour, you're still, you have to make adjustments and they go through this feedback system to throw strikes consistently. And 
there just like, isn't a correlation between how good your mechanics are. And that's really frustrating as a pitching coach because you know that good mechanics do set the tone and they do set the foundation to throw more strikes and to throw harder. So even though these kids might throw more strikes with poor pitching mechanics, they're definitely not ever going to have the ceiling of velocity and off-speed stuff. Like they won't be able to do that stuff. But they can throw strikes because they're just interacting with their body. It doesn't matter how, what, you know, how crappy the gun that you're using is. If you're a good marksman, you can still shoot accurately with it, right? Um, you know, you take one of these legendary like army snipers and you give them any gun and they're going to be more accurate with it than some other guy, even a guy with the world's greatest, you know, most accurate gun. It's always user, user, uh, not user error, but it's just user competence first, right? So these kids are still masters of their own mechanics, even if they're not great mechanics. And so it, again, it just comes back to when we're looking and we're trying to assess like what's going wrong. It's, it's up here and it's that feedback system and it's how in tune with your body and how much you're paying attention to what's going on when you throw a pitch and don't hit your spot. If you're not paying attention and you just want to throw the next ball or you want to overthrow it, you want to throw it as hard as you can or you're throwing to the radar gun or you're just not, you're just not focused, then it's going to be another ball. It's going to be in some other random location and then you're not going to adjust the next time because you're not focused on what went wrong and then what your body needs to do to make it better next time. And, and I've told kids like, that's what hap- That's what big game pitchers do. They have this intense focus when they want, when they have to do something. It's not when they want to do something. It's like when a, a big league pitcher has the game on the line and he's O2 on a guy, he's got the, he's got two bases open and like the tying or winning runs on third base, he got two outs. He absolutely has to bury his breaking ball in the dirt. He cannot hang it over the plate, right? He must, he, he must. How does he make sure that outcome happens? It's this just intense focus, him summoning, okay, I know in my brain, this is how it feels. This is what my body has to do to get my hand to the right position to spin this baseball so that this curveball breaks and bounces on the plate instead of staying up in the zone. And they just summon like their absolute most focus on doing that thing because they can feel it. I can, I can in my head visualize a curveball going to any location in the, in the zone right now because I've done it so many times and I can like feel how it feels to like throw that pitch there and you like summon that and then you just focus so hard on it like that must happen like I'm gonna do it and you just it's almost like there's a mold so it's like right here that's what that snapshot I was talking about like there's this mold and I have to get my body into that mold and if I get into that mold it'll go just like there was that show uh, where they had like a cutout of a person. It was like, say it'd be like a starfish or it'd be like this or it'd be like that. And there was like walls coming towards this person on this game show. And they had to like get in this position so the wall would like pass through. They would go through the cutout. And if they didn't get it quite, wide, or quite, quite right, the wall would hit them obviously and it would like shove them into the water and they lose. And that's kind of what it's like. It's like I know that my body's going to be here. Like I know it is. So I have to get it into that mold to make this pitch happen the way I need it to happen. So I think I'm out. I think I'm out. I got that. That's, I think as thoroughly as I could possibly explain it. And I think that's what throwing strikes is. I think that's what command is because again, if you look in the big leagues, like Clayton Kershaw has some like the best command, this recent first round draft pick Casey Mize out of Auburn had like a 14 to one strikeout to walk ratio. Uh, like that's incredible. Right. And you say like, it's, you look at them, it's not mechanics. There's a million other guys that have the same, like, no different. 
it's up here. It's that feedback. It's they like no, and they can fit their body into that snapshot, that mold, whatever it is, and get it done. And when they don't, they're incredibly focused on fitting into that mold, that snapshot on the next pitch. So I think that's all I could possibly say uh, on command. All right. So what I want to talk about now is pitch counts because it still just gets butchered over and over and over. If you go out and watch youth baseball games at a local tournament or whatever. And uh, despite there being lots of resources out there, despite I kind of felt like, oh, this is kind of like old news, kind of like a no brainer. Like it's not that hard to figure out. Uh, Apparently it is. So for parents or coaches who don't know, here's a bunch of things that are challenging about pitch counts. And then I'm going to go over things that are unacceptable and then what I think best practices are. So the biggest thing with youth baseball, which is kind of up until I'd say 17 U, because I don't know if I'm going to loosely define youth baseball right now, I'd say it's the period where kids are going to play multiple positions in addition to pitching. So at like 16, 17 U, like there's some 15 U kids obviously who become pitchers only because maybe they have a great arm and they're really good on the mound, but they're just brutal and unathletic everywhere else. But most of the time that divide is like 16 U or 17 U where it's clear that some kids are going to go play college baseball as a shortstop, as a catcher, as an outfielder, others are going to be as a pitcher and their ceiling is is as a pitcher. So they don't really play the field as much because, you know, if you're going to play right field, but you're going to pitch in college and another kid's going to play right field in college or outfield in college, like you give the playing time to the kid, the outfielder, right? In the outfield. So that's where that divide is. So up until then, it's a whole lot more challenging to manage pitch counts because kids are not just pitching, they're pitching and then they're going back in the field or they're playing the next game or whatever. So there's just way more throwing that they do in addition to the throwing that they, they pitch with. So trying to manage fatigue and workload is really challenging because of that. And because a lot of times you just don't have other options as a coach, you have to send a kid back out to play the outfield, to play the infield when they're done pitching, or you just have to have them out there next game in a perfect world, you don't have back-to-back double headers. You have single games each day. So if a kid pitches on Thursday, he can sit out on Friday and then get back into action Saturday. So he gets a day of rest for his arm before the next day. But, I mean, most of the time there's two games. You know, in any given tournament, you usually get one game or one day of one game and then another day with a double header, or you get two double header days. It's just rare that you have single games on uh, successive days just because of the format and all that. It's just tough for them to do that. So, you know, it's it's a situation with you have to live with a certain amount of fatigue, and you know that because they're always playing shortstop or they're playing outfield constantly, they probably need to have a reduced pitch count a little, probably a little more than you'd otherwise think. So the, the, the pitch counts that apply to high school and college and pro pitchers, don't really apply when you're playing another position as well because, you know, you don't see Max Scherzer or Clayton Kershaw throwing 100 pitches in a start and then playing shortstop for the next three days. Their arm would be wrecked. They would be throwing much slower. Their off-speed stuff would be much worse, uh, and their command would be much worse because fatigue is the enemy for both injuries and it's the enemy for performance. So when you're fatigued, check out my other podcast, YouTube episode, where I talk about fatigue and what it does to you, but basically – it destroys your command because you don't have the dexterity, the fine motor skills that you used to. And it also just, uh, it makes your fastball slower. It reduces your spin rate. It reduces the bite of your off-speed stuff. And you just generally lose feel for the baseball. So as your shoulder and your forearms, especially fatigue out, 
you just lose again that high fine dexterity which helps you make adjustments and throw the ball where you want it to go so being fresh is important so now when you have a kid that played shortstop two games in a row then maybe he sat a game and now he's pitching he's still got a ton of accumulated fatigue and our team has worn modus sensors from for this season and you'd be shocked at how many throws you'll make on a doubleheader day. You basically make about 100 to 140 throws per game. So when we have doubleheaders, kids are going home with 280 throws logged into their modus sensor. And they're not all hard throws, mind you. Like they're lots and lots of soft throws and throws across the diamond, throws from shortstop to second base, like just all, all variations of throwing, but they're still throwing nonetheless. And it's still accumulating fatigue. And so these kids are going out to the mound not fresh, or whatever you call fresh for a you know major league pitcher, they're going out there like their energy meter just pleaded to like 60% probably because they've played a couple games and they've made 300 throws or 400 throws in the last two days. So to say that then a kid should still throw the same 100 pitches that a, a varsity starter or a college pitcher or a pro pitcher would throw when he's fresh is I think a little bit misguided. Now, I'm not saying that, you know, the MLB pitch smart rules that you should go way below that. But I'm just saying in general, erring on the side of caution is an intelligent thing to do because of how much kids are throwing when they're playing a second position. So, you know, oh, yeah, you get a day rest. So in general, here's an example. In our organization, if you throw one or two innings and you have one day rest, you can throw one or two innings again. So basically, it's like two innings, day rest, one inning, or one inning, day rest, two innings. That's pretty much our cap. You're not going to throw multiple innings with one day rest and then multiple innings again. That's not really good for you. So, but doing that, that's like a pro baseball kind of rule. In general, you don't throw an inning and then a day off, then three innings, and then a day off, then another couple innings you kind of get a day off per inning or you go back to back days and then you get a day off or sometimes you go three days in a row and then you get a day off or two days off or something because over time it starts to catch up with you. So when I threw lots where I threw like four out of six days, like four innings in six days or five innings out of seven days or five innings out of eight days, it just catch up. It just catches up by the end. And that's on a two different occasions. I went like six out of eight and then I started having like a barky elbow or a shoulder thing, and that like stuck with me. So those little injuries often crop up after those really high workload days. And that was as a reliever, obviously, but it still applies to starters. So we have to be a little more cautious than we, I think, otherwise should or compared to like a guy who's just not – I'm not doing anything between. I'm just doing my work. I play catch in pregame or whatever, but I'm not competitively throwing or throwing in a game. So we need to be more cautious, but what actually ends up happening is we're way less cautious with youth baseball. And most coaches don't have a clue, or if they do have a clue, they don't care, which is even worse, uh, because they just don't care for the long-term health of these kids, or they're asking for these kids' input into how their arm feels. And I don't give a shit about how a kid's arm feels. Uh, if he says, oh, hey, guess what? My arm's great. I can pitch today. It doesn't matter. It, what matters is how much rest he's had and what the researchers are saying like out of the asmi who make these guidelines are saying is going on because yeah your arm might feel fine today and you threw 40 pitches yesterday and you could probably give me an inning or two today uh, because you say your arm feels fine you're not lying to me but five years from now all this accumulated wear and tear is going to catch up so it's just like if you have a car you get a brand new car and you drive like a maniac, it's not going to blow up today, but the longevity of that car is going to be much shorter. Like you get a car that was driven by, you know, a high school kid, like a madman for a bunch of years, 
that's not the reliable car that it otherwise would be five or six or seven years down the road. It starts to have more problems than the person who drove it like a normal sane person. Like we know that about automobiles, but yet we don't apply that same thinking to baseball pitchers or even softball pitchers. They're crazy overused because people have this mindset that, oh, it's a windmill. It's a different motion. It's a natural motion. It's not natural. Like it's not okay for kids to be pitching as much as they pitch in softball either. And I'm not going to get deep into that because I'm not a softball pitching guru. I'm not deep enough. I'm not going to like go beyond my level of expertise here, but I know for a fact that what they're doing is not correct. So regardless, we need to have more caution with youth pitchers. And so in general, here should be the guidelines for a typical like tournament weekend. If your starting pitcher starts and goes more than three innings, he's done for the weekend. You don't pitch him again. That's just, that's just how it is. If your starter goes two innings and you're just shelling this team, pull him, give him two days rest. So if it's like Thursday, you can maybe throw him against Friday or if it's, or uh, sorry, Sunday, or if it's Friday, pull him, maybe get an inning or two at him on Sunday, but you don't start him again after going two innings and then going all the way back out on Sunday. So if they go two innings, you can yank him out of there and maybe with a day rest or hopefully two days rest, you get another inning or two out of them. Because if you don't really want, don't want to run them out there for a worthless game where you're just going to destroy that team because this happens, um, you still have to be cautious. It's not like, oh, what does Knicks just start? Because they warmed up. They had a long warm-up. They still throw them between innings, you know, getting your, pre, your, your uh, pre-inning warm-ups, your six to eight pitches. And then you throw two innings, and you stand up and you sit down. You stand up and you sit down. There's a bigger toll than just the number of pitches. It's how many times you get up and down. So you might throw 70 pitches in a game over seven innings, it's still a significantly higher toll because you sat up and went down. You got up, you went down. You got up, you sat down. That's the hardest thing. And starting pitchers know this when they're getting ready for the season. It's not just pure pitch count. It's about how many times you get up and sit back down. So throwing 70 pitches in a bullpen is not the same as throwing seven innings of 10 pitches in a bullpen where you rest for four or five minutes in between each. It's much harder to do the second one than the first. So number one, if you start and you get out and you get past the second inning, that's it for the weekend. I don't, it, if you get shelled in the third inning or you just your team blows them out and you go out for the third inning, you should be done. And if you only go two innings in that start, you should definitely have at least one rest day, hopefully two before you pitch again. And if you only have one rest day, then you shouldn't pitch more than like one, maybe two innings at, at max. So number one rule is if you start, that's all you're going to pitch this weekend, and that's fine. You're not going to start on Friday and then pitch in relief on Sunday. You're not going to go five innings and then pitch two more on Sunday. You're not going to pitch two innings and then start on Sunday either. So the converse is also true. You see this all the time, and it's not okay. It's just not okay. So if your son's doing this, talk to his coach. And look, I mean, if you have to have a hard conversation, do it. I mean, because it's long-term, his arm health and no one else is going to vouch for him. He's going to say his arm feels fine, and he's probably not going to be lying, and he's going to get run back out there. And that's just the way it is. So unless someone vouches for him, and this should be the coach's place to say, no, you're not pitching, even though you feel okay, it's just not okay for you to pitch 40 pitches yesterday and then go back in today. I'm sorry, you need two days of rest. So we're pretty firm about that. Sometimes you get backed into a corner, and you might have to use a kid who threw two innings yesterday for another two innings today because the tournament demands it and you're 100% out of pitching. That occasionally happens. It's not ideal. Um, but we just hope it's not at the end of the world with that kind of stuff. But, like, bringing back a starter who threw yesterday to throw today, it's just not the way to go. 
Um, beyond that, you want to try to get pitchers rest before they're going to pitch. You don't want to have them out there. And I've done this, you know, it happened last week. I had one of my infielders out there. I intended to pull him in the third or fourth inning. So he would rest and get more than just a breather between games and start. But I didn't, I let him out there till the fifth or sixth. And I regretted doing that. Um, you know, it's, you try to get them time on the bench. So they pitch as fresh as they can possibly pitch and then hopefully give them some rest after the game before they go back out there and play shortstop again or play third base again, because it's just a lot of throws. So you try to do your best about that, about not running them ragged right up until they're then going to pitch the next game. So if you can try to organize it. So your starting pitcher for whatever game it is, is not playing a significant throwing role, uh, in the previous game. So if you have to EH him or use him as the DH, whatever, or sit him, just do it. And this is the other thing. You cannot have a team with a roster of 10 or 11 players unless they absolutely all can pitch well. You can't do that. And you certainly can't pitch only six or seven or five or kids from your team because that happens too. There are teams everywhere who they only pitch six kids. You can't have a six-man pitching staff. You have to have at least 10 guys to pitch through a four-game weekend. That's just how it has to be. Sure, you could have four complete games. That happens sometimes. One of our teams last weekend had three complete games in their weekend, 75 pitches, 72 pitches, and like a 90-pitch game. That happens. That's amazing. That's great. But that's extremely rare because usually someone's going to get blown up. You're going to blow another team up, and you're going to have a couple. You're going to have a starter go four good, five good innings. First reliever comes in, can't get the job done. you got to burn another reliever. You just end up burning through arms. And if you're doing things right, if you have a kid on Saturday who threw two innings in relief, he's not really going to be available for more than maybe an inning on Sunday. And hopefully you don't you have to use them on Sunday. So if you're if you're using your relievers improperly and you're overusing them, sure, a six-man pitching staff works. If you're not overusing your kids, then a six-man pitching staff absolutely cannot possibly work. So you need to look closely at the complexion of your team. If your team has 10 or 11 kids on it or nine kids, there are teams that do have nine or 10 kids, just be prepared, prepared that if your kid's a pitcher on that team, he's going to get overused. I mean, just plain and simple. And again, there could be some exceptions where every kid pitches and is competent. So I know there's going to be some exceptions, but most of the time those teams overuse their pitchers a lot. And the other thing, which I'm going to address now is catchers. You cannot pitch and catch your kids on the same day. And really, if a kid is a significant catcher, they throw so darn much as catchers, they should not pitch any significant amount. So we have a pretty much full-time catcher on one team. He doesn't pitch for us, for my team. 15U, we have another pretty much full-time catcher for that team. He pitches in relief maybe two innings a weekend. Uh, he's not a starter. And if I do have a starter, like last weekend, we had a triple header. And one of our starting pitchers was a catcher. So he caught two days prior, I think. Uh, so he was, he was going to pitch the first or second game of that triple header. So he was not going to catch that entire day. And another of our very good pitchers is another catcher. And he usually pitches in relief for us, but because that kid pitched that day, our third catcher pitched that day and our starting catcher couldn't catch all three games. I told the other pitcher, I'm like, look, I can't, I can't use you on the mound today because, um, I'm just not going to have you catch a whole game and then pitch in relief. That's just like not good for your body. It's not good for your arm. He said, okay. So he pitched two in, he actually didn't, didn't end up pitching all that day. He caught a game, played shortstop a little bit, and uh, I didn't pitch him. So we were going to run out at some point, but I just still was not going to use him because that's just like 250 throws in a day for him and pitching. 
that's just way too much. It's not okay. So if you have kids that pitch and catch, and I understand that they do this a lot at the young levels, uh, you have to break it up and you have to get more kids who are competent catchers. You can't have just one competent catcher and then expect that kid to give you innings on the mound too. It's not all right. So the catcher thing can take some balance. I think you need three catchers on each team. And if you don't have three catchers, then develop them or pick better next year at tryouts. But I, it's, it's tough to do it with two catchers, especially if one of them is a decent pitcher who doesn't want to say, no, I only want to do one or the other. And I told our pitchers who are catchers, you're only going to be a backup catcher. You'll catch one game each weekend so that I can get some distance between your pitching. And that's fine. And if you want to be a full-time catcher, then we're going to start to phase out your pitching. You'll be a reliever, a reliever at most and a, 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 a last sort of resort reliever uh, on that same, uh, on that note. So uh, in general, the pitch count recommendations by like the MLB pitch smart and, you know, that are generally followed in high levels of baseball are a day rest for every 20 pitches or so. And if you start and you go at least a couple innings, you're going to be down for your solid four days of rest before your next start. So that is the general thing. So like I heard recently of a kid who threw 60 pitches on Thursday, 80 pitches on a start on Sunday, and then 40 more on Wednesday. That's 180 pitches in a six-day span. It's not all right. So that kind of stuff, continue, again, it continues to happen. None of those pitch counts individually are super high. Like 80 pitches is acceptable for a, a 13 or 14-year-old, but after throwing 60 on Thursday with only two days rest and playing the infield after that, and then Monday or Tuesday, again, maybe they get a little more rest because they're not playing, but then another game. That's way more pitches than a major league pitcher would throw in a six-day six span. So if you averaged out the 110 pitches a major league starter would throw over those six days, that's still, you know, uh, I got to do some math, but that's, you know, 15, 20 pitches a day on average. So if you made that a six day span, that'd be 120, 130 pitches. They would never throw 180 in a six day span. Um, no reliever would ever have that workload, but yet we have kids that have that workload. So it's just a very backward system. You want to try to give them as much time as they can. You have to basically break up your staff and do starting pitchers, and relief pitchers and try to keep them in those roles as much as you can so that the kids that play the field who are more like full-time infielders can be just relievers. And if you do have to have a kid, because obviously the best athletes throw the hardest and they pitch because they throw the hardest and they play shortstop because they're the best athletes. That's extremely common. Your shortstop is almost always going to pitch for you in youth baseball. Uh, you just have to try to find a better balance and just try to limit their pitch count as much as you can. You can't run those kids out there for 110 pitches every time. And, uh, and that happens because they're going to run back right out to short. And like as an old guy who's got a run down arm, that's like hurts you thinking about it, like playing shortstop after throwing 110 pitches because you can't not uncork throws. You can't send a guy out in the outfield and say, hey, just don't throw him, just, just throw him in easy. Like that doesn't happen. That doesn't work. So it's complex. It is not just like simple cut and dry, like, oh, just do this. It's, it gets complex trying to balance your games out, trying to plan out four or five games in a weekend to say, okay, he's going to start here. He plays these positions. So, uh, and then here are my catchers. My catcher's going to pitch this day. It, it gets tough to make all the piece, pieces fit, but you just have to plan it out a little bit better before the weekend starts and try to say, okay, this is my game plan. I'm going to try to stick to it as much as I can uh, so that we're not just running everyone ragged. But Pitch counts, they, uh, they're still probably the easiest tool to use. Obviously, there's a modus sleeve, which can work well, depending on your population and, you know, who's using it. 
but pitch counts are still the biggest thing to just saying, Hey, this is the workload. Uh, we're going to stay beneath this. If you're this type of pitcher or this type of pitcher or this age of pitcher. And, uh, that's just the way you have to go. So it's, like I said, it's not a simple thing, but it requires planning and it also requires parents and players to know when they're being overused. So look at your pitch counts throughout the week, go to the MLB pitch smart website, look at their guidelines and then think about how you've been used and you'll have a good idea of whether your coach is overusing you or not. And if he is, there needs to be a conversation had because there are probably thousands and thousands of coaches out there who are doing this right now. We see them every week at other tournaments. Oh, that same kid's pitching again against us. Cool. He started on Thursday. He's starting against us on Sunday. Cool guys. Uh, that happens consistently. Happened last year. A kid started a game on Thursday, started against us on Sunday. Through six innings both days. It's not all right. I mean, that kid was good. He beat us on Sunday. He's not going to beat anyone in five years because his arm is going to be destroyed. So it's a tough thing. Hopefully this has given you some of the uh, some of the sense that you need and some of the general rules. And I'm going to put these in a blog post as well. So those will kind of be like a companion piece in there. But it's not simple. But we need to do better to try to figure all this stuff out. Pitch counts. They're the, the, still the number one tool for youth baseball coaches. All right, well, that's it for this episode of Dear Baseball Gods. Uh, obviously, I lied about hitting stuff. Uh, I ran a little bit long on the two, the two pitching segments that I really wanted to cover, so we'll, we'll cover hitting stuff at a, another time. But um, just want to remind you, uh, subscribe to my YouTube channel. Uh, find me on Snapchat, Coach Dan Blewett, Instagram, Facebook, all that good stuff. And then obviously all my online pitching courses are now live. So pitching isn't complicated, the course and ace of the staff. So if you haven't checked those out, they're a big collection of all my best drills, tutorials, all this stuff put in a step-by-step where it's going to teach you how to analyze, correct your mechanics in uh, pitching and complicated. So you can throw harder, throw more strikes. And then obviously in ace of the staff, it's the big mental game package where it's going to teach you how to pitch the situation how to improve your command, how to improve your routine, how to pitch out of jams, all this sort of stuff. All like the really high level things that I learned throughout my pro career. So if you're out there and you're struggling and you need a solution, I think those are really great. I'm excited. I'm proud to have those out there on the web. So, all right, we'll catch you here next week on Dear Baseball Gods.